It's good to be with you guys. If uh, this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas Dayton. Uh, We're very glad that you're here. Uh, If you want to open in your Bibles to uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are white and blue paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those, turn to page 229, and that'll get you to Nehemiah 8. 8 is the chapter number, that's the big number, and then we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. The verses are the smaller numbers uh, found throughout the chapters. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8. Uh, Now the text that, that we're about to read is particularly interesting, I think, to those who are part of the the New Covenant Church, reason being what we see here in Nehemiah 8 might be a a sort of template for the reading and and preaching of God's Word in church services and the way that it's done. Uh, This practice here of sort of consecutively going through uh, books of the Bible and then, um, as it says in Nehemiah 8, giving the sense of the text, explaining and applying the text here Uh, either had been or would become the sort of predominant uh, practice of synagogues in the Old Covenant while in exile, the church while the church was in exile. Uh, Synagogues began sometime after uh, the Israelites had been sent into exile and they were formed so that God's people could gather together and worship on the Sabbath, even though they were, you know, very far away uh, from the temple, had no access to the temple or the temple had been destroyed. Uh, And this practice carried on into the times of Jesus and the disciples. Uh, there, you know, you, you see Jesus going to the synagogue, you see the apostles at the book of Acts going to the synagogues and they travel around through the nations and, and when God's people gathered to worship, they would gather in the synagogue on the Sabbath and uh, what they would do is exactly what we see here in Nehemiah 8. The people of God would gather on the Sabbath or on a feast day and they would sing and they would pray and as we see here, they would read the Bible and they would hear the Bible taught and applied to their lives. And then when the New Covenant Church began, uh, when Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, sent the Spirit, the New Covenant Church formed, they largely, they took these synagogue practices as their sort of template, and they made some changes, but, but largely they kept many of these practices, including these, these sort of word-centered practices that we're going to see here in Nehemiah. They continued to read the Word of God in their worship gatherings. They continued to hear the Word of God preached in their worship gatherings as a God-ordained sort of scriptural tradition. All that to say, this scene that we're about to read is probably going to look somewhat familiar to you. And so as I read, pay attention, see what uh, looks and sounds familiar, uh, look for maybe reasons why we do things the way that we do here on Sunday mornings at Veritas, why it's important for us as a church to, to do these things that we see in the text. But most of all, As I read, hear the word of the Lord, hear with reverence, hear with awe, hear with joy, savor and treasure God's word in your heart as the people here in Nehemiah 8 do. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, 
in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aeneah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand. And Padeah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kaleida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Fathers, we prayed together earlier. Would you let the meditations or the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer? Do you allow us now to hear your word, truly hear your word and to understand your word, to savor your word, all so that we would hear and understand and savor you, our great God and Father in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Lord, we want to treasure you and enjoy you and love you and worship you now as we hear your word. So work that in our hearts. Bring that fruit about in our hearts. And as we hear, help us to not just be hearers of the word only, but help us when we go from here to be doers of the word also. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, last Sunday at Nehemiah 7, Uh, we looked at Nehemiah 7 where we saw that God is gathering a people for himself. God is gathering a people for himself from the nations. And we saw some of the shared sort of traits of this this family, God's special family, some of the sort of family traits of this people. Uh, This people that God is gathering is a holy people, a people who are set apart. Uh, They are set apart in Christ, by Christ, and by faith in him. They are uh, righteous in their character and their conduct because of being set apart in Christ. They're set apart people, holy people. We also saw that this people that God is gathering for himself is a generous people. Uh, They give generously and sacrificially their time, their talent, their treasure. We saw that earlier when we looked in Nehemiah and saw that the people were, uh, at first, they were not supporting and caring for the poor in their midst. And Nehemiah calls for reform, and they start to uh, support the poor and, and the needy in their midst. And, and we, see, we saw in Nehemiah 7 that uh, they supported the worship and the mission of the church and, and, and of God's people in Jerusalem there. And we also saw in Nehemiah 7 that this, this people that God is gathering for himself is a worshiping people. It's a worshiping people. There are people devoted to communing with their God and King. They're committed to gathering together to worship and enjoy God. 
And now as we enter into chapter 8, we see that uh, central to the worship of God is the Word of God. We see uh, how this worshiping people worships in Nehemiah 8 and Nehemiah 9. And we see here in Nehemiah 8 that they uh, worship God by gathering together on the first month of, uh, on the first day of the month Tishri, which is the, the day of the Feast of Trumpets, which is the beginning of the Feast of Booths. They gather together. This is a day set aside for worship. And what do they do as they gather for worship? As a people devoted to the worship of God, they devote themselves to hearing the Word of God. They worship by hearing and understanding and savoring the Word of God. So three practices or three ways in which God's people are people of the Word here in Nehemiah 8. We see that they are hearing God's Word, understanding God's Word, and savoring God's Word. Hearing God's Word, understanding God's Word, and savoring God's Word. And first, we see that they're hearing God's Word. So our text this morning describes a a scene in which all the people of God gather into the square before the water gate. And when all the people gather together, they call Ezra, okay? Uh, Now, Ezra hasn't been introduced in the book of Nehemiah at this point. He's not really been introduced here. Uh, We're just supposed to kind of know who he is. Uh, We're supposed to have, it's assumed that we've read the book of Ezra. Uh, If you haven't, just know Ezra, he's a priest. Uh, A a priest is someone whose duty it is to work in the temple and to offer sacrifices and to pray for God's people. And uh, it's uh, his job, it's the priest's job, to teach the word of God to the people of God. And Ezra, he's particularly competent and skillful in doing just that. Ezra 7.6 actually says that Ezra is skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. He's He's a biblical scholar. He's a skillful teacher of God's word. He's a scribe, as they would call them. And so when the people of uh, God gather together, they call on Ezra. They say, Ezra, go go get the book of the law. Uh, It's probably the book of Deuteronomy. And then as verse 3 says, he read from it. And when he read from it, it says in verse 3, that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is a people devoted to hearing the word of God. And this is significant because because the people had been exiled from the land in the first place because they hadn't been listening to the word of God. They had actually rejected the word of God. They refused to listen to the prophets. But here they have returned and they are attentively, earnestly listening to the word of the Lord, which signifies to us that this is a people who now trust and adore God. They are repentant and they trust God and they want to listen to what God says to them. They want to listen to his word. And you know, this truly is a test of a true Christian. The, the, the sure test of a true Christian is, are they devoted to hearing God's word. You know, Luther once said that the ears are the only organs of the Christian. What he's saying is is that uh, the Christian life begins and is kept and continues and is sustained by hearing the word of God. Faith feeds on the word of of God. Paul is getting at this very same thing in Romans 10:17. We read it earlier. Uh, Romans 10:17 says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we hear the word and our faith feeds on the word. Our faith it begins and grows and is sustained by the word of God, hearing the word of God. 
So we should be devoted to hearing, to attentively listening to the word of God. You know, a parent listens attentively to the voice of their child. A lover listens attentively to the voice of their beloved. And the Christian listens attentively to the word of God being read and preached into their ears. It's their food, their drink, their soul's nourishment. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. A while back, I heard a, a pastor in Washington, D.C. by the name of Mark Dever tell a story about a time when he was giving a lecture in England about the importance of bi- the Bible and, and preaching. And the place in which he was giving this lecture was this, this old cathedral, this beautiful cathedral in England built in the 16th century. And, and the building still had many of the uh, sort of original details. They had they'd kept a lot of the original details from, this, from when the congregation gathered there. They'd kind of kept it up very nicely. And Dever pointed at one of these details. He's, he's uh, very uh, well uh, informed and educated about all this. Um, and, and he pointed at one of these details as he spoke. He pointed out one of them uh, to those present. And so there was attached to the pulpit, their pulpits would have been a lot bigger than this one. He, had, uh, he pointed at the right side of the pulpit, there was uh, a little metal spiral kind of coming up from the pulpit uh, on the right-hand side. And uh, you can still find this uh, on many pulpits from this time period. And, and so he asked the students who were gathered there if they knew what this little metal spiral was. And uh, no one did. A few of them, you know, had seen it before in, in uh, you know, older church buildings. But no one could say for certain what uh, this little metal thing was. And so Dever explained it to them. They were gifts commonly given from the congregation to the preacher during this time period. And they would have been given sometime between the, lid and, uh, the mid to late 16th century. They were hourglass holders. And as he's explaining this to the student, some of them are starting to get worried looks on their faces. Hourglass holders for the preacher. Uh, and he said to them, these, these congregations would give these hourglass holders to the minister uh, because they would give them one to two turns of the hourglass to keep them on time during their sermons. And when he said this, there was an audible gasp from the congregation, from the people gathered there. General feeling being that one to two turns of the hourglass was uh, entirely too long. And one of, the, one of the people present burst out and said, what time did that leave for worship? And of course, what they meant was, what time did that leave for, for singing? When Dever heard this question, he had to take a moment to compose himself as he heard the Protestant Reformation just flushing down the toilet. But after he, after he composed himself, this is what he said to them. He said, Well, you know, I think when you realize that some of the people sitting there may well have remembered the smell of burning human flesh for having the Bible translated into a language that they could read and understand, they well knew that the chief worship they could offer to God was to hear his word and to respond to it with faith and trust. And if they got to obey that part of God's word that told them to sing, and that was a wonderful part of their worship, but they knew that their chief act of worship was hearing and obeying God. And people of God are people who worship God by hearing his word. And next we see that the people of God don't just stop uh, at, at merely hearing at, uh, God's word. They also worship God by growing in their understanding of God's word. Now look at verses 2 through 4 and 7 through 8. Notice how the author emphasizes the importance of understanding God's word. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. 
on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand, Padeah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Maaseah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people could, so that the people understood the reading. Just emphasis on understanding here. Ezra and the priests, they were concerned that the people not only hear God's word, they wanted the people to understand God's word. Ezra would read from the, the, the word of God in smaller, kind of manner, ma- more manageable sections, and then he would pause, and the, the Levites, the, the priests, were, would kind of uh, disperse throughout the, the congregation, which was probably over 30,000 people, and they would disperse throughout the congregation in order to explain and apply the word of God to the people of God. They engage in this practice of what we, we've come to call today expositional preaching, expositional preaching. I know that's a, a $2 word, but To help you remember it, just think of it like this. Uh, Expositional preaching is preaching which exposes God's word. You see, exposition, exposing, it's preaching which exposes God's word. What the text says is what the sermon is about. The message of the text is the message of the sermon. That's what we strive to do here at Veritas, the, the pastors of Veritas were wholeheartedly committed to this practice of exposing to you what the Word of God says. We read the Word and then we try to give the sense, as Nehemiah 8 puts it. We want to explain and apply the Word of God so that you, the people of God, will grow in your understanding of God's Word and how it applies to your life today. This is a bit of an odd application, uh, but um, the reality is that not all of you are going to be members and attenders of Veritas for the rest of your lives. Recognize that, and that's okay. Some of you are going to move away or uh, for work or for whatever reason, and, and so we want you to be equipped to know how to find a good and faithful church. And one of the things you need to look for is this, expositional preaching. If you visit a church and the sermon is not exposing the meaning and message of God's word. The sermon is about the pastor's opinion about whatever. Uh, you know, I, I heard this story recently about this pastor burning his Nike socks or something uh, on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. That's just weird and, and also not what is called for from the pulpit. Like, that, that's, not, that's not what we're doing here. We're not sharing our opinions up here about whatever issue. It's not the pastor sharing a few of his thoughts, or, or uh, if, you, if you find that a biblical text is just a springboard for a, a pastor to just, you know, jump off and talk about whatever he wants, or if it's just sermon time is just story time without anything of substance, you should avoid those churches. You should avoid those churches like the plague, Similarly, if if ever at Veritas, if our sermons start to veer away from exposing and applying the word of God, you should speak up. You should say something. 
rebuke us. And if you go through all the proper measures of trying to seek change and it doesn't happen, you should run away as fast as you can. The role of pastors in the church is to preach the word. Paul told Pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 2, preach the word. That's what pastors are here for. Pastors are here for, to expose and apply the word of God to the people of God so that the people can understand the word of God and how it applies to their lives today. That's, that's what pastors are called to do. And, and to be clear here, we need to grasp that understanding God's word is just, it's more than an intellectual process. So like this isn't just lecture time up here, okay? Like, after the sermon, we don't take quizzes and exams, right? That's not, that's not what we do. Like, look, look at the people in Nehemiah 8. Look at their response to the Word of God. They worship, and they, re, they weep, and they rejoice. They, they, you know, Ezra doesn't stop and say, okay, class, take out your pens. It's, it's quiz time. No, understanding here, and the way that the Word is used here, understanding means more than just the transfer of information. Of course, you know, transfer of information is part of it, uh, you know, and, and a necessary part. But the Bible is not a book of a bunch of facts to be downloaded, which we merely memorize and, and be able to regurgitate. No, the Bible is the inspired word of God given to the people of God that they might know and trust and obey God. And as this word is taught and understood by the people, notice there's not just information transfer, but there's worship and weeping and rejoicing here. It's a kind of understanding that, that wherein one isn't just able to regurgitate a set of facts or information, but the kind of understanding wherein hearts are pierced and penetrated with the truth. Now think about the crowd uh, on, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. It's sort of a similar situation. You know, Peter, he gets up and he preaches this sermon about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He calls the people to repentance. He preaches about the coming judgment. And what does the crowd do? You know, they don't come up to Peter afterward. It's a good sermon, Pastor. I know someone who should have been here for that. A lot of good information. No, Acts 2.37 says... When they heard it, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You know, they, they understood. They understood in such a way that their minds were changed, their hearts were gripped, their lives were transformed. They grasped God's word, and they were grasped by God's word. True understanding, biblical understanding, is nothing less than that. Brings us to the last way God's people are people of the word. They not only participated in hearing God's word and understanding God's word, they also participated in savoring God's word. I want you to to notice a few interesting things about this text. Look at verse 1. And notice how the people asked Ezra to bring out the scroll. You know, it doesn't even seem like it was Ezra's idea. People wanted to hear it. Next, notice the, the length of time that they spent hearing God's word read and preached in verse 3, he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and all those who could understand. It's a long time, upward five, six hours maybe. And all that time, it says, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. When they heard it, notice the response in verse 6. They bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is not an, an act 
of a people who listen to the reading and preaching of God's word just because they should or, or just because they're commanded to or just because they know it's good for them. You know, sometimes I, I think we approach the means of grace, the word of God, spiritual disciplines, kind of like they're medicine or supplements, not particularly pleasurable. Like cough medicine doesn't taste good. It's not really all that enjoyable, but it's, you know, you have a cough, it's good for you. Just kind of suck it down real quick. That's not what's going on here. You know, they're, they're saying, like we read from David in Psalm 19, or they're saying, your, your, your word is like honey, sweet to my taste. It's, it's sweeter than honey on the honeycomb. It's more valuable than, than gold, even much fine gold. They're savoring the word of God, like the feast that it is. And hear me, I, you know, I'm not saying that we should have six-hour-long worship services. I'm not saying that. You know, wherein we read the Bible for several hours and we have really, really long sermons. I'm not advocating that sort of thing, don't worry. But, you know, I, I read this report this last week uh, that the average American watches over five hours of television a day. That's almost 40 hours a week. And that equates to, listen, 77 days a year total. And that doesn't even take into account how often people are staring at these little blue screens looking at Facebook or Instagram or whatever other waste of time. It's probably worse if we count social media. And, you know, I don't know how closely that reflects your schedule, but, but if it does, even just, even just a little bit, and if the Word of God takes up much less of your time and energy and focus, then, then you have cause to, to ask and inquire about what it is you're truly savoring, what it is your heart is truly treasuring. Are you savoring? Are you truly savoring the Word of God? I have a friend who's, who's fond of saying that when it comes to God and His Word, we need to develop our palates. And I think he's right, you know, when we're so often preoccupied and satisfied with things other than God and his glorious word. And the, the, the problem is not with God. The problem is not with his word. You know, as, as I heard one pastor say one time, he said, the Bible's not boring, you're boring. The problem is with us. It's that we're satisfied when, with Folgers, when Woodboro coffee is being offered to us. No offense if you drink Folgers. I think you know what I mean, though. As C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased We need to develop our palates. We need to expand our capacity to experience true pleasure, true joy, true beauty, to enjoy and savor that which is truly worth enjoying and savoring, namely God and his word. Really briefly, I guess the question is, how do we do that? We're running out of time, so I'll go over this really quickly. How do we develop our palates? How do we grow in savoring what is true and good and beautiful? How do we grow in enjoying God and his word? Well, first, I would say that we need to take inventory of our habits. If we need to develop our, our palates, the first thing to ask is, is, is 
what are our schedules like? What are our habits like? Because in all reality, if you're not getting much joy, much nourishment, much out of the Word of God in life, if you're not getting much joy out of that which is truly enjoyable, that's probably because you're not putting much into it. You know, if you watch Netflix for five hours a day or look at social media five hours a day and then read your Bible for five minutes and attend worship part-time, then you can't really be that surprised, right, that you're satisfied with, with lesser things, with wasting time, with sinful habits and, and practices. You can't really be that surprised. What are your habits like? How do you use your time? Next, to grow in savoring and enjoying God's word, I would say to take inventory of the way that you are approaching the word of God. You know, it's possible to have good habits of Bible reading and meditation and participating in corporate worship in your local church, but simply to just go through the motions far too often, isn't it? You know, notice here, they're, they're listening attentively. They weren't yawning their way through the service and checking their phones and and wondering how long this is going to take. How, how do you approach God's word? I came across question and answer 160 in the Westminster Larger Catechism this last week. And I think it sums up best how we ought to approach God's word. The question is, what is required of those who hear the word preached? Uh, but I would expand it to not just hearing the word preached, but how we approach the word of God in general. Uh, what should be expected of us? How do we approach the word of God? How should we approach the word of God? And listen to what it says. It is required of those that hear the word preached, or you know, hearing the word in any other form, that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures. Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it. Hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Do you diligently receive the word? Do you, do you prepare to receive the word? Do you, do you prayerfully receive the word? Do you receive the truth with, with faith, with love, with meekness, with, with readiness of mind? Do you meditate on it? Do you confer of it? Do you hide it in your heart and bring forth the fruit of obedience from it in your life? The, the people of God here in Nehemiah 8 did. They, they were a people of the word, and the people of God are always a people of the word. They were devoted to hearing the word, understanding the word, and savoring the word. And we must be too, because the people of God are a people who hear, understand, and savor the word of God. Now in conclusion, we have to understand that, that the people of God are a people of the word precisely because they are a people of the word. What I mean to say is that, that the people of God are a people of the word, lowercase w, because we are a people of the word, uppercase w. We're a people of the written word because we are a people of the incarnate word. 
You see, the New Testament reveals Jesus as the Word made flesh. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 1.1, we said it earlier, long ago, and many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's truth, goodness, and beauty incarnate. And he says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Romans 10, 17, which we read earlier, says that the word is the word of Christ. See, the reason that we are devoted to hearing the Scriptures, to understanding the Scriptures, to savoring the Scriptures, is because to do so is to hear, to understand, and to savor Jesus Christ, the one in whom we have life, the one who came and stretched out his hands on the hard wood of the cross so that we would be forgiven and reconciled to God, the one who shed his blood and died in our place so that we would be restored and renewed and reconciled to the Father. He's the one who rose again on the third day that we would be raised up with him on the last day. This book reveals him. It reveals who he is. It reveals what he's done. It reveals what we're to do in response to who he is and what he's done. It was given to us that we would know him, that we would trust him, and that we would obey him. The written word was given to us, the church, so that we would be a people of the incarnate word, that we would hear him, that we would understand him, and that we would savor him forever. Now we're about to do that as we approach the Lord's Supper. We're going to look to Christ. This is a visible word for us to see what Christ has done, a visible proclamation of the gospel for us to see what Christ has done on our behalf how he has given his body to be broken so that we would be reconciled to God and forgiven for our sins forever. It's, it's a visible demonstration of his, the shedding of his blood. He shed his blood so that we would be washed clean and renewed in our consciences, so that we would be forgiven for each and every single sin so that we would be reconciled to God forever. That's what this meal is. It's a visible word. And in it, we taste and we see that the Lord is good. In it, we savor Jesus Christ. So as we take it into our bodies, we visibly demonstrate that we are one with Christ Jesus so that all that he is and all that he has is shared with us. This is a visible word. And together, as we receive it, it says that Paul says that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's prepare to do that together now. Let's pray briefly and then we'll continue. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for sending Jesus who is the exact imprint of your nature. We give you thanks that you sent Jesus to reveal who you are to us. And we give you, we give you thanks for giving your word to reveal Jesus to us. We thank you That as we look on the cross, we see you, the God who is love and just and holy and merciful 
We see you, the God who is, who is infinitely sovereign and wonderful and beautiful even beyond, beyond our comprehension. And we pray that you in, would enable us to now behold the cross of Christ in our souls with the eyes of our souls and that we would savor him, that we would treasure him in our hearts, that we would enjoy him and commune with him through the presence and power of the Spirit. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.